Good morning. It's good to see you here today. If you have your Bible, if you want to go ahead and find the second chapter of Haggai, uh, we'll be closing out the book of Haggai this morning. I have to ask a question before we get started today. Have you ever known someone who is a pessimist? Um, in case you don't know, a pessimist is someone who's always, they always expect the worst. They only see the bad things in life. They don't ever seem to see anything good or positive. They look outside, it's a beautiful day, everything is just great, and they'll say, well, it's going to rain next week. But, and you got to wonder, what about today? And I read something, uh, and I really got a kick it out, out of it, and I want to share it with you this morning. So it comes from a commentary a pessimistic commentary, and it's a pessimist commentary on Psalm 23, and it's written by Ima Weiner. So I, I got to share this with you because you'll like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Shall not want? Give me a break. I want lots of things. I'd like to have a nicer house, a better job, a pay raise. I want people to do what I say when I say and I wouldn't mind winning the lottery either. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I have a problem with the words makes me. It sounds a little bit legalistic to me. First you say I can't want things, and now you're making me do things. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I don't want to get guided down the paths of righteousness. I prefer the more scenic routes. How about, how about leading me to Hawaii for a change? What about Vegas? I'm, I'm getting a little tired of these paths of righteousness. The next thing you know, you'll be leading me through a dark valley. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. What am I doing in the valley of the shadow of death? I thought I was supposed to be lying down in green pastures. Did you take a wrong turn or what? And you call yourself a shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. To tell you the truth, a rod and a staff, they're not my idea of comfort. A rod and a reel I'll take. A back massage would be even better. Skip the rod and the staff. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Great. Out of all the restaurants in the world, you choose the one where my enemies are eating at. I'm sure I'm going to relish every bite of that meal. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, I don't want any oil on my head. I prefer shampoo. And for goodness sake, can't you stop pouring it before my cup overflows? What kind of waiter are you? How would you like to have hot coffee spilled all over your hands? Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't want to be confined to a house forever. It sounds kind of like a prison to me. It might be nice to step outside every thousand years or so. I never will understand why people like the 23rd Psalm so much. It's easy to be a pessimist, isn't it? It seems like it's so much easier for us to look at all of our problems, all the things that could go wrong, all those things that, that they just might go wrong. It, it's easier to focus on that worst case scenario than it is to see any potential in any situation. 
One, and we do this. We do this in so many areas of our life. We do it at work. We do it at school, in our family lives, and even in church. There are plenty of times in our personal lives and in our church life when, when nothing seems to be going our way. And in those times, it can be so easy for even the most optimistic person to become pessimistic and depressed. Life just has a way of beating us down, doesn't it? And, and we can give that church answer. We can say, well, Satan's attacking us. And there's, there is certainly plenty of truth to that, that Satan is attacking us. But more often than not, it looks a lot more like a bad relationship, a bad job, financial issues, a health condition, rather than a guy that we picture in a red suit with a pitchfork. And if you're in any kind of leadership position, in your home, your family, your school, your social circles, your workplace, or even in church, you've discovered the truth that in those leadership positions, they all come with their unique challenges. In the hardest of those challenges that we face, the hardest is to maintain a healthy outlook. Even uh, with your view of the ins and outs of life, when things can so easily get us down, you see the other things that other people aren't going to notice, and, you know, and yeah, they're there. You, you might go from those highs of seeing spiritual transformations in people's lives to those lows that come with griping and grumbling. The truth is we can all be pessimists, can't we? So today, if you're one of those kind of people, a dedicated pessimist, someone who's frustrated with the way things are, if you only see the worst instead of the best, this is for you. As we've made our way through this short book in the Old Testament, through the book of Haggai, we've seen how God's people, how they have been called back to get on task, to get to work on rebuilding the temple. And in the process, they were meant to come back to him, to come back into a right relationship with him. They started out strong. They'd come back to Jerusalem. Um, they, after they'd been captive in another land for 70 years, they finished the foundation, they, they'd finished the altar, and they hit a wall. Opposition, discouragement, and pessimism, it settled in. And the people abandoned the work of God for 16 years. So Haggai was called by God to speak into their lives and motivate them. He, and he shows them the consequences of their disobedience. But he also reminds them in the process that the outcome of their obedience uh, would be amazing. He calls them to think about, to consider their ways, to give careful thought why they're in the situation they are. So we're going to read the last four verses in Haggai chapter 2. But before we do that, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity today, the way that we've praised you, that we've worshiped through our, through our songs and our giving. And Lord, I, I ask so much that you bless this time of teaching, that we come closer to you, that we come closer to knowing your will for our lives, that we understand the truth that more than anything that you are able, that you are able to achieve whatever you desire. That Lord, that when we're faithful, that when we're obedient, that you'll use us and we'll see things change. We'll see lives changed. We'll see our own lives changed. And we'll see your kingdom grow. 
Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for what we're going to learn as Haggai shares your message with Zerubbabel this morning and how it speaks into our own lives for good and for change. I just pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. So Haggai chapter 2, starting at verse 20, God's word says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. This last message in the book of Haggai is given on the same day as Haggai's previous message, but this time it is directed to an individual, to a single person, rather than the people. It's directed to Zerubbabel. Now, his job as governor was to get the people back to work on the temple. And and do you know what happened? If you've stuck through this, they wouldn't. Sixteen years they ignored his appeals, saying, come and do what you're supposed to to finish what you've started. And there might have been a reason for that. The people, they they probably had a problem with him. Because if you don't know this, his great grandfather was Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin had been king when Jerusalem, when it was overrun by the Babylonians, it was during his reign of his grandfather that all the treasures from the palace and the temple were taken away. It was during the reign of his grandfather that all the officers, the fighting men, the craftsmen, and the artisans were all carted off into captivity, leaving only the poorest people in the land. No one was going to let Zerubbabel forget the truth that it was his family, the leadership of his family that got them in the situation they were in in the first place. Look what happened the last time we let one of you tell us what to do. Zerubbabel had even been born in captivity. Even his name reflects that. It pretty much means son of Babel. And to him, you probably could have just called him a loser. Because I'm sure that's exactly how he felt. He thought he was a big, fat loser. That he felt like he was a failure. Have you ever felt like that? That you were a loser? A failure? Have have you ever been discouraged? Do, Do you get discouraged by the way things are right now? As you look at your family tree, do you wonder if you ever can break through that generational dysfunction and just felt like giving up? And here we have Zerubbabel trying to lead a people that don't want to be led. Here he is trying to lead the people in God's work, and they think that it isn't as important as their own wants and needs. Even though they had gone to work, or initially they were an unclean, unclean people, their lives, they were dirty with sin, with, with sinful attitudes, sinful speech, and sinful actions. And whatever they touched became unclean. 
because they were unclean. The situation, it had to have appeared bleak to Zerubbabel. The people, well, they're being disobedient. God's withholding his blessings because of the situation. And things are desperate. Zerubbabel, he's ready to walk away. He's ready to throw in the towel and say, I give up. I'm washing my hands of you guys. I've given it my best shot, and it just wasn't enough. And I bet you know exactly how he felt. I bet you've been there yourself. And maybe you stuck it out, or maybe you just decided to walk away and give up. But at exactly the right time, at the right moment, God spoke into his life. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. And I can just picture Zerubbabel that day. God's already spoken to the people earlier that morning, and the word that God spoke through Haggai, it was encouraging. Things were looking up. God had said, from this day on, I was going to bless you. That was good news. And now he's probably worried, thinking, uh-oh, somebody probably messed up. God's changed his mind. What happened? Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. And then it hit him. Uh-oh. Maybe God's going to replace me. I, I, and maybe it's not such a bad thing. I mean, the people, they're not listening to me. They won't do what I say. I keep talking, and no one ever seems to listen. But at just the right time, at the right moment, God spoke into his life, and he called him by name. And God even knew the situation that Zerubbabel was in. And just like you here today, just like all of us, God knows your name. He knows your situation in life. Zerubbabel's situation, his condition, it wasn't that great. He's frustrated, discouraged, and ready to give up. He thought, I'm done. But God didn't. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and the riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. God gets his attention. God's saying, I am not done here. He's saying, I have a plan, and I'm going to follow through with it. He's saying, Babylon was big, but God is bigger. He's saying, Persia is powerful, but God is even more powerful. Think about how forceful the words that God spoke that day were. There's no maybes. There's no mites. What God says he's going to do, that's what he does. And that needs to remind us the truth is that he is God. That he is, and that I'm not, and that you're not. It's all about him. Because we know that God wins in the end. His plan is going to work no matter what, because God is able. On that day, declares the Lord, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, The son of Sheatiel declares the Lord and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. 
Now, there are three words here that I want us to really focus in on this morning that are in God's direct message to Zerubbabel. And the first of those is take. First word is take. He says, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel. Now, that word take in there, it, it's a common Hebrew word that was used when God changed the status of someone. In 2 Samuel 7, 8, when God said this about David, listen to this in 2 Samuel 7, 8. Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people. I took you. God took Zerubbabel from Babylon to rebuild another temple, but I think he had so much more in mind because this word was also used of kings being anointed for kingship. He says, I will take you, my servant, Zerubbabel. And that is so much more than a compliment, more than just a title. It would have made Zerubbabel feel like he wasn't just the governor, but he was actually working for God himself, that he was God's servant, that God was going to use him. First, he takes Zerubbabel as his servant. And the next word is make. The next word is make. And God says, I will make you like a signet ring. He's going to take him from being a lonely leader and making make him into something so much more, something that he probably couldn't even get his mind around at the time. It's even harder for us today in the world to understand how incredible this would have been. Now, a signet ring, well, obviously it's a ring, uh, it was a common symbol of honor, authority, and power. In that ring, it was used to sign, seal, but not deliver, documents as it was pressed into hot wax, and a king would guard that signet ring because it represented his reign and authority. And today we use seals or embossers to show that a document is genuine. A diploma has a seal. A notary will put their mark to show a document isn't fake. Some collectible items and autographs come with a certificate of authenticity. In a signet ring, it accomplished all of that and more. God, at this point, was telling Zerubbabel that he was going to turn him into a signet ring. Not just any signet ring, but his. <laughs> it sounds a little bit weird, doesn't it? I'm going to make you into a ring. I mean, who would want to be a ring? But God's saying, you are going to be my representative. You are going to be my ambassador. Not too bad, is it? But to Zerubbabel, it would have meant so much more. Listen to the words God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 22, starting in verse 24, says, As I live, declares the Lord, though Kaniah... Now, remember, that's, that, that's his grandfather, the guy who messed up everything. The son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, Yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, they, there they shall not return. 
And it's incredible because what God's saying, the, he's saying, I am making you like a signet ring and that the past, it's gone, it's over, it's in the past. It's over and we're moving on, Zerubbabel. You're not responsible for the actions of your family in the past. God's saying, we can move forward now. We can go into the present. You're, yeah, you've messed up. God is saying to Zerubbabel, I still want to use you. I have plans for you. I want you to represent me to my people. And why is he going to take him as a servant and make him like a signet ring? We're told it's because he has chosen him. There's that last word, chosen. God has chosen him. God could have picked anyone. He could have chosen to take and make anyone a partner with him, but he chose, he chose Zerubbabel. And it wasn't because Zerubbabel was capable. It wasn't because he was qualified. I mean, he hadn't done such a great job so far. They'd gotten the foundation and the altar built, and then the work stopped for 16 years. But God chose him. And the temple was completed about four years later. It didn't stop there, though. Zerubbabel played a part in the coming of Christ. He's actually listed in both Matthew's and Luke's genealogies of the Messiah. God chose, think of this, God chose to use a man who had failed personally, a man whose family had led the people to being taken captive, spending 70 years in exile. God chose to use a man who more than likely didn't see much more possibility in his own future. And God still chooses today. He still chooses people like that today to take and to make. He uses the things and the people that no one else would consider to do amazing things. Do you need to hear the word of God? Do you need to hear him speaking into your life? Don't wait. Don't wait for a bad experience. Don't wait for a hard time or a tragedy just so you can hear him speak. Spend time in his word every single day. Make it a priority, and he will always speak to you at just the right time. I love what he says to Zerubbabel and Zechariah because it's something we all need to hear. In Zechariah 4, 6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. He says, it's not because you're mighty or powerful. You will accomplish what I want through my power. And when you think it's bad when you don't think that you're capable enough, when you think that you need to rely on your own strength and your own abilities, and trust me, it's not enough, God says you won't need it. You'll do it in my power, in my strength, through my spirit. And today, you can do things differently than your parents or grandparents. You don't have to be like them. God can free you from that dysfunction Pour into the lives of your kids and your grandkids, your nieces and nephews. 
Because God is able. And God wants to use you. He wants to take you, and he wants to make you into something so much more than you are today. And he's ready to take you just as you are, because he's already chosen you. While we were still sinners, while you and I are still sinners, Christ died for us. And he chose to do that in order to make a way for redemption and forgiveness. He chose us long before we ever chose him. Winston Churchill said, a pessimist, a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. What do you see today? Do you see the opportunities around us or do you only see the difficulties? Christ has already taken care of our biggest difficulty in this life. He died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. Something that none of us could ever do on our own. He has only left us with opportunities. And I don't want you to leave this opportunity behind this morning. It amazes me that God chose a man whose family had caused so much pain, suffering, and difficulty for his people. It's amazing to me that God would choose a man who failed as a leader. It's amazing to me that God still said, I am going to take you and make you because I chose you. God chose a flawed man. A man who probably nobody even cared about. And he used him to achieve something incredible. And God's still in that kind of business today to take people as his servant, to make them into a representative for him because he's chosen us long before we could have ever chose him. Today, if you don't know Christ, understand the truth that he came and he lived a perfect, sinless life, that he died a horrible death on a Roman cross, that he was buried. But on that third day, he was raised back to life by his Father in heaven, putting paid to the debt that we all owe for the sins that we could never pay. And he did it for us. He would love for us to come to him in obedience because he wants to speak into your life, not just in the hard times or the difficult times. He wants to speak into our lives to help us grow and become more like his son. So this morning, understand that God is able, that God is able to use you, no matter if you think he, if he can't, that you are just too far gone. God is able to use you to do something for his kingdom. And he wants to. But we have to surrender to him first. We have to allow him into our lives. We have to submit to his will and put his priorities before our own. So this morning, as, as the praise team comes, I'm going to ask them to sing God is able again. Because the truth is, God is able.
And God will change your life if you will only let him. If you need to come this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to come. Maybe God is, is leading you to become a member of this local body of believers here at Highland Hills. Come. Maybe God is speaking to your life and saying, I want to use you, and you don't know where yet. Come and say, Lord, just come spend time here and say, Lord, show me where you want me, and that's where I'll go. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to encourage you to remember the truth that God is able to use you even when you don't think he can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this opportunity we've had just being together as your people. I ask that, that those here, that those maybe watching online, that, Lord, that you speak into their lives. Let them know that, that you know their names. You know their situations. You know all of their difficulties. But you are able to overcome it all. Lord, I pray that our hearts, that they're ready to follow you, that our will is surrendered, and that we're ready to leave these four walls to be your people and see your kingdom grow. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for what he did for all of us. And Lord, I just pray that we leave here changed from the way we entered. I pray all this in Jesus' name.